You're listening to a podcast from St Bart's. To find out more about our church or to take a next step, visit stbarts.com.au. Thank you so much, Mike. Now, just a reminder that if you want to submit questions or you want to vote on questions already submitted, you can go to the web address on the screen and you can submit your questions there. You can vote for the questions there. We'll also have the opportunity to take some questions off the floor. But we have a few to begin with, uh, Mike. First of all, are there examples around the globe where there are thriving or healthy examples of secularism, So, in your opinion? Uh, well, again, like I gave the example from the United Kingdom, um, even with an established church, uh, I think they do have a healthy level of secularism. That means religious groups are not persecuted or not coerced, uh, and all people are still able to participate in, in wider society. Uh, now, if you compare that with somewhere like either China or Iran, uh, you would argue that the UK, I think, is a pretty good model. I mean, generally, I, I think we have a, a fairly good model in Australia, but I think that's being put under strain largely by this sort of debate about, you know, LGBT rights and religious freedom. Uh, that's the, ma the main thing, but it, it's also exposed that we do have a few gaps that need to be filled. We need uh, either an anti-discrimination bill and possibly a positive statement on religious freedom uh, based on the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. So generally, I think we do it pretty well. Um, but yeah, there's, there's room for improvement and, and a few kind of cracks that, that could become problematic. You use the phrase tolerate quite a bit. Sometimes people interpret that as begrudgingly putting up with someone. What do you mean by tolerate? I suspect it's not that. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 no tolerance should be begrudging. No tolerance should be begrudging. All tolerance should be based on the idea that people, people have the right to be different, okay? And it's, it's, it's that idea, look, I may disagree with what you say, with your choice of action, your decision, but I recognise you have the right to do that. And I, and I want you to have the right to do that, and I want to champion your right to do that, so in due time, one day, you'll be the one who champions me when I'm in the minority. So, you know, that, that's why I think we, we need this idea of tolerate, not begrudging, but if we're going to be a liberal democracy, and that, and that, that word liberal means liberalities, it means freedom. If we're going to have those freedoms, then we're going to have to tolerate people who are different. Christians can sometimes be nervous about secularism. How would you communicate that secularism is actually good news for expressing and exercising the Christian faith? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, that's kind of my, my whole thing. <laughs> so I kind of like go on the road Sorry, and talk open about... Open invitation. Yeah. Open invitation, yeah. Well, I, I would say secularism is actually a Christian invention. Um, you could argue it goes back to the 11th century, um, with the Catholic Church was trying to find a way to disentangle itself from civil powers. It kind of has its roots there. It comes out of the, um, the Catholic versus Protestant conflict, you know, after the Reformation. Now, I mean, the idea of religious toleration, I mean, that's not new. Um, the Mongols, for all of their incredible brutality, actually were very good at practicing religious toleration. 
But that, but that, that was the mere toleration. We, we just don't care. As long as we're conquering and taxing everyone, we don't really care what you do for worship. In secularism, it's, it's more than toleration. It's about a framework where there is participation and a framework where the government does not discriminate against, against people and it wants to encourage the, the participation of all peoples in our own political framework and their own pursuit of happiness. So I would say secularism is an explicitly Christian invention. And the proof of that, I think, is the way that secularism at the moment is waning in places like Turkey and India. Uh, Turkey, uh, for a long time, was a, a secular Muslim country, uh, I think largely born out of its proximity to Europe and the, and the interface of European ideas. But I, I would argue that, that I Islam and Hinduism, I would say, are not really religions. They're more like different types of civilizations. Because for us, Christians, we're able to disentangle um, uh, you know, worship from identity and, and you know, ethnography and belonging to the state. But in Islam and Hinduism, they're all a lot more closer combined. Uh, and that is why I think we are seeing the erosion of secularism in both Turkey and in India. Uh, because the, the idea of, I mean, the idea of having a, that, that, re, that religion is a thing that's separate from your politics, uh, we, we might take that as self-evident, but it's not self-evident for most of history and in other parts of the world. I mean, if you're a public servant in Thailand, as part of your job, you can be required to do Buddhist rituals, like, you know, light, light incense um, things. I mean, it, it seems foreign to us, but in different parts of the world, that separation of church and state doesn't exist. And the reason we have that is because of the history of Christianity in the West and how it sought to engage in its own internal disputes, ruptures and fissures and its own entanglements with political power. But those same debates haven't happened in, in, within Islam and within Hinduism. Now, just a reminder, if you'd like to ask a question from the floor, we do have a couple of mics roaming as, as well. Not this, this mic is not roaming, but some microphones <laughs> roaming. So if you do, just pop your hand, and then one of the ushers will come over to you. Uh, but just whilst we wait to see if anyone from the floor does have a question, uh, another question from online. Christians sometimes seem a bit protective about their beliefs. How should they react to social hostility? How should they respond? Well, I think that it depends on the level of hostility. Okay, um, you know, like if someone just puts something nasty on social media, uh, I mean, I think I think you need it. We we do need to have a pretty thick skin. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm very concerned with what happened at Calvary Hospital uh, because I think that sets a dangerous precedent. And if that's what this government does now, what does the next government do in five years, ten years? And I'm worried that there'll, there'll be uh, things like uh, a government will just one day decide they're going to nationalise all Christian schools or, or something along those lines. So I think we need to have a response that's got to be proportional towards what we're facing. And I think that response um, has got to be leaning into the secular, secular... We need to be champions of secularism. We cannot defend religious freedom without defending secularism. And I think that's what we've got to articulate to the political powers. And in some cases, if it comes down to it, advocated in the courts, 
and you know, maybe one day be out there in the streets protesting if that's what it comes down to. Do you think it can be dangerous when some Christians victimise themselves and have an outlook of being a minority? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I mean having, a, having a bit of a persecution complex when you're not really being persecuted, I don't think is a good look. You know, um, Christians in Iran or in northern Nigeria or North Korea, I mean, that, that's persecution. Or I look and you know, I read stories about Christians in China. I mean, you know, when you're being dragged away by the police in the middle of the night, uh, that's when I think, you know, we should really be worried. But we are nowhere near that because our liberal democratic institutions are thankfully uh, thick, wholesome and robust, I believe, uh, to prevent that. But what we can be alert to are some gradual incursions uh, against religious freedom and against secularism. Let, let me give you one good example. Uh, in Victoria, they, pa they passed some um, uh, gender identity, uh, you know, anti-gay conversion therapy laws and gender suppression. Now, the intention behind the laws was, was good. The, the idea you don't send um, gay teenagers to some sort of camp to be deprogrammed for their gayness because we know that these things don't work. And in fact, they're very harmful to, to adolescents. So it's actually a bad idea to do this. Now, this was, this was uh, accepted and supported by the Anglicans, the Catholics, uh, the Muslims, uh, the Jewish organisations, we all agreed we don't want, you know, conversion therapy for adolescents in, you know, Victoria or anything like that. The problem was the, the government in Victoria defined gender suppression so incredibly broadly, uh, so much so they explicitly prohibited certain types of prayer. Victoria is the only jurisdiction in the world that I know, I know of that has literally criminalised certain types of prayer. Uh, I would say that's, that's probably gone a bridge too far. And the other thing in, in Victoria, if you mention the word celibacy in the context of LGBTI people or relationships, you can also find yourself uh, potentially in trouble with the law. And it hasn't been tested yet. We don't know how far it's going to be taken. So th that's probably an example of how I think we may have some minor incursions into religious freedom. When, when, when you're criminalising certain types of prayer, something I think has gone wrong there. And if no one's allowed to say the word celibacy without getting into trouble, uh, I think there's also going to be some problems there. But we have to see it tested in the courts to see what happens and whether they're going to accept a broad or narrow definition of suppression. Under your recommendation, should there still be grounds when a government could tell religion what to do? Uh, yeah, and in fact, the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights lays out the conditions in which government can do that. So let me, let me give you an example. Uh, during the pandemic, I think it was appropriate for the government to determine that uh, groups gathering together, such as you know, churches, may have to wear masks. Or maybe there has to be a prohibition on meeting together uh, at certain, in certain periods because you know, there's a pandemic or some sort of you know, great emergency and the like. I think it is legitimate for governments to do that. Now, there can be the danger that governments take that a little bit too far. Uh, or, I mean, one incident I know in, in um, Western Australia 
where there was a church service going on in a Catholic church. A police officer entered the church, uh, ordered the priest to cease the service, and he then went around checking everyone's vaccine passports. Um, This happened in in, uh, Western Australia. And uh, if I was the priest in charge, I would have been, you know, I mean, I I love police officers. I really, I really do love police officers. Uh, But I, I would have told the police officer that now is not the appropriate time to do that. And he should have done it before the service, or he can wait until after the service. Um, Because I I would regard that as needlessly intrusive um, on that situation. But but in theory, I believe, yeah, government can do it, but they've got to have reasons to do it. There are are limits to religious freedom, but there are also limits to the limits you can put on religious freedom. I could talk about the Syracuse principles and a whole bunch of other weird things, but I won't bore you with with the details. The federal government is asking for submissions on the Combating Misinformation Disinformation Bill 2023. Any suggestions to include in a submission? It's due on the 6th of the 8th. They mentioned that as well. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've looked at this a little bit. I am a, I am a little bit concerned about what the government wants to do. It does have a kind of a big brother, Ministry of Truth kind of a vibe to it. Uh, I understand the idea you want people... You want to stop people spreading misinformation through Facebook, uh, that, that, like, you know, things like you know, the vaccine's really got a chip in it to control your mind. You know. I can understand why governments want to stop that kind of a thing, but we have to be very vigilant when it comes to defending freedom of speech. And, and, and what, I, what I tell people is whenever you knock down a fence, you've always got to ask yourself, why was the fence put up in the first place? So if there is a fence guarding freedom of speech, why was that fence put up? Like if you knock down a fence and then you look at the fence on the ground and it says on it, you know, warning, lion enclosure, um, you know, knocking down the fence was probably a bad idea. And uh, I I am a little bit concerned about this disinformation bill uh, well-intentioned as it may be, uh, in the hands of nefarious actors, it could be used as a form of um, censorship or um, wide-anding or eliminating one of the most important freedoms we have, and that is freedom of speech. What is your position on Christians speaking into the public domain about matters of religious freedom? So should we be communicating with political reps? Yes, Definitely. Uh, my advice is read any legislation that comes out on um, religious freedom or you know, you know, freedom of speech or anything like that. Uh, you can also follow a number of very good groups that, that are kind of very good at explaining what is going on. Uh, groups like the Institute for Civil Society, Freedom for Faith. This is where they've got a bunch of really clever um, Christian lawyers uh, who still have their consciences and everything. And... <laughs> Uh, They know how to read legislation and they can help explain it to you and usually in in a fairly sensible and simple way explain what is going on and what's at stake. And then write to your local members uh, and tell them your concerns. You know, make submissions to various parliament inquiries, various commissions, and the more active you are, the more our political representatives will take notice because our political representatives are very big on getting re-elected. And when they, when they see what the, the mind or the vibe of their own constituents are, 
normally they, they, they do have to listen. So yeah, we should, you should definitely uh, get informed and be activist on this topic. How do we, as individuals, help progress, help Australia progress towards a confident secularism? Yeah, well, I think the number one thing we have to break down are the caricatures of secularism. And that's amongst both Christians and non-Christians. Uh, I have people saying to me, why are you going around spreading your religious ideas? Don't you know Australia is a secular country? And I say, well, no, Australia is not a secular country. It is a multicultural country with a secular government. Uh, I believe in the secularity of government, but Australia is a land of all faiths and none. And what helps us to be that, to be a very successful multicultural country, what helps us to be a very good, robust, liberal democracy is that we have a healthy account of secularism. That secularism helps us to be a tolerant, inclusive, participationist society. And if that secularity is compromised either into theocracy or into a more uh, militant brand of secularism, then our political freedoms and our social cohesion are both going to suffer as a result. Churches often campaigned against religious freedom referendum in 1988. Mm. Was that a mistake? And can we learn from that in pursuing of religious freedom today? Yeah, uh, my memory of 1988 is a little bit limited on the grounds that I was 14. And believe it or not, but constitutional law was not my primary interest back then. Uh, I, I, was, I was interested in other things like Ninja Turtles. Um, uh, that, that, that's what I was interested in when I was 14. Uh, now, from what I have understood, um, the referendum failed because the people thought it was a power grab by the federal government in the area of religion. But I would say now, I think the Hawke government uh, did this with great, with, uh, great prescience, uh, trying to fill in a gap in our constitutional law between Commonwealth and state governments. And should, the, should it ever come up again in a referendum, I think we should definitely uh, support an expansion of it. So the same um, limitations placed upon the Commonwealth government about establishing or restricting religion are also applied to the state governments and territories. If, if someone hears this and thinks there is a lot of historical and legal and cultural complexity to this, what would be a really simple way, what would be a, an easy step to begin unpicking that in your own mind? Obviously, your book will be really helpful, Mike. Well, but, obviously. You know, but, yeah. but, but, but what do you think could be some simple steps? Because I think it can be so overwhelming, almost, in its complexity that people can not know really where to begin. Yeah. Oh, and, that, and that's how it was for me. I thought, yeah, we have religious freedom. I read the Constitution. I said, hey, see the Commonwealth government. And some said, ah, Commonwealth government, not the state government. And then I looked at the Bill of Rights in Victoria, which was, okay, you got that. But then there's all these different you know, exemptions to discrimination law in all the different states. It's all a hodgepodge of inconsistency. And, and then I read about the history of secularism in Christendom. And like I said, like, I went down the rabbit hole on that one. I, I thought this would be a nice like 5,000 word essay. And, you know, and, and eight years later, I'm still down there. I mean, my, as my wife can tell you, I've got a big, big stack of books on religious freedom in, you know, about America, the UK, Australia. 
and all the sorts of things. So I'm still you know, uh, getting grips with this all the time and as this space continues. But if, if I wanted to sum up what we should be advocating, it's that Bible verse that George Washington quoted. Everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree and none shall make them afraid. I think that's, that, that's basically what we want to aim for. The history, the legal stuff, the politics, all of that has to be instrumental to, to live in a society where we don't go around chopping each other's heads off because of our religious affiliation or our lack of religious affiliation. So that, that's, I think, is, is the name of the game. You know, Australia is the country where we pride ourselves on being a fair go for everyone. And I think secularism, religious freedom are very instrumental to being a country of the fair go. Under a secular framework, how can evangelism flourish, so the sharing of faith? Yep. And won't everyone just say that no one can seek to proselytise, to, to evangelise, to share what they believe? No, I mean, the freedom of religion includes the freedom to practice and promote their religion. So I think religious freedom uh, explicitly requires the freedom to, yeah, you know, like practice and propagate religion. And uh, I mean, people might say, well, I find that, I find that offend, I find what you're doing offensive. Your evangelism offensive. And when people say that, I always quote to them what Salman Rushdie said. Uh, you know, Salman Rushdie, the famous Indian um, uh, author who's wrote some book that upset like every Muslim in the world. Um, he said, uh, nobody has the right not to be offended. And I, I think that's the right. No one has the right to harm other people, but I don't believe anyone has the right not to be offended because it's such a subjective category. Uh, things that are, are offensive. I, I find coffee offensive, Adam. But no one's going to... I mean, it's, 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 it's like, I don't know, it's like uh, sewage from the depths of hell. But no one in their right mind is going to let me ban it. I find, it I, find the, I find the taste and the smell wholly entirely offensive. But I should not be entitled the right to ban it outright on penalty of death. So in fact, I, I think I hear you saying you're going to argue for the right of it continuing and being able to be offered up wherever you go, I think is yeah. what you'll be arguing for, isn't it, Mike? Yeah, that's where I may have some begrudging <laughs> tolerance. <laughs> that's right. that's right. Um, but I just can't stand coffee. Um, how, does, how do we deal with arguments based on emotion? Now, that could be at all sorts of positions, actually, in approach mm. to this. But, but I might actually add a little tweak to that question. So for those people who are uh, Christians, who identify with the Christian faith, how do you think they should deal um, when confronted with, with emotional or even aggressive argument? Yeah. Okay, one thing you've got to remember, nobody changes their mind by being yelled at and verbally abused. I mean, sociologists have proved this. No one changes their mind by real rancorous... Um, almost self-righteous tirades. Okay? No, no one changes their mind. Where people change their mind is when you raise a question in their mind okay? or you sow seeds of doubt. So when I get confronted with, with somebody who says, well, Australia is a secular country, I say, well, which, which type of secularism do you advocate? French laicite? The Turkish version? The American version, which is very much driven by lo locality? The secularism of Dallas is very different to the secularity of Boston. Which version of secularism do you advocate? Simply asking a question like that, they go, oh, 
I did not know there was kind of different versions. I said, well, explain to me your version of secularism. Well, I don't think that religious people should be sticking their nose in politics. I say, you mean relig religious people like Martin Luther King? Should he have been sticking his nose in politics? I mean, if Martin Luther, Reverend Martin Luther King was running for, for office, would you have voted for him? Because he had a very explicitly religious message. So did Malcolm X, who was a Muslim act, civil rights activist. Would you shut them? I and you raise these sorts of questions. Um, it, it, it just challenges people and, and makes them think that maybe their version of secularism needs to come closer to yours. So, Mike, you're obviously, I think it's fair to say, a follower of Jesus. Very you're keen, a, very yes, keen. Very keen. And this is linked to one of the questions that has been asked. Um, as a follower of Jesus, how, how does he set an example for you in how to engage in gracious conversations, particularly around social or really hot topics of difference? Yeah, I mean, Jesus taught love of God and love of neighbour. We love God with our heart, mind, soul and strength, and we love our neighbour as ourselves. If you're going to love your neighbour, you have to love your neighbour as they are, and you have to allow them to be who they are. That is, you, allow, you need to allow them to be other, to be different than you. Uh, because the minute you try to coerce your neighbour to, to make them more like you, then you could argue that you're not loving your neighbour. Now, again, it's, it can be a little bit complicated. If my neighbour believes he or she's entitled to murder people, um, no, we, you can't do that because they're not loving their neighbour. But I think if we make the teaching of Jesus central, love of God, love of neighbour, programmatic not just for our personal ethics, but also for our public ethics, I think we'll have a very powerful testimony uh, in, 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 in public. I mean, that's, that's why I think Martin Luther King was so, so powerful. He took, a, he, he took a message that was very biblical, born of the 8th century prophets, of the teaching of Jesus, the Apostle Paul, and, 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 and he, he brought it to the attention of the, of the American people. So you claim you're Christian, and yet... You not only turn a blind eye to these injustices, you manufacture these, horror, these horrors for fellow men and women who are in the image of God, who are meant to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And that was powerful. It was powerful then, and I think a, a similar message for our own 21st century context, even laced in religious language of the Bible, I think would continue to be powerful today. Mike, you have been so generous with us tonight, thank you. And I really want to encourage, for those who are in person, you can continue the conversation, probably over hot chocolate or, or tea. But, uh, but not please, coffee. Yeah. But please feel free to continue the conversation with, with Mike. And uh, you might also have some thought things you want to post online, and we're happy to share those as well, and we'll share out some resources. But would you like to put your hands together and thank Mike? This has been a podcast from St Bart's. To learn more or to take a next step, visit stbarts.com.au.